This is Legally Literate, the go-to podcast for small business owners to keep up to date with the latest legal developments affecting the small business sector in Australia. Every week, we'll take you through the practical implications of these developments for your small business in plain English, and we'll help you to develop your legal literacy. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Legally Literate podcast. I'm your host, Erica Taylor. In this episode, we'll look at why it's important for a business owner to understand the difference between registering a business name and registering a trademark, and why not doing your due diligence can result in a costly lawsuit. This will be the first in a series of podcasts about common legal issues encountered by business owners in Australia today. So if you Think back to episode one of the Legally Literate podcast. You'll remember that we spoke about how and where business owners can learn about the law and access legal education and the barriers to accessing legal education, which can therefore cause difficulties with business owners becoming legally literate. So the next logical question from listeners in response to episode one might be, How can I become legally literate if I'm not sure what areas of law or legal issues affect my business? The issues I'll be covering in this series of podcasts are the result of research I did on the most common types of legal issues posted about and questions asked on a particular Facebook group I am a member of for people in small business. With over 163,000 members and running for seven years, it was a great resource and sample size for me to identify the very real legal issues small business owners encounter in their daily lives. In reviewing posts on the page, I identified seven areas of law that generally apply to most small businesses. And these are, in no particular order, contracts, intellectual property, employment law, work health and safety, consumer law, disputes, property, and starting and ending a business. In terms of the issues that arise in each of these areas of law, I was able to identify almost 30 unique and specific issues encountered by many small business owners. And these were the issues identified by the members of the group. But I could have rattled off at least an additional 30 issues that flowed from the situations described by the um, group members and that led to the questions being posted. Many areas of the law have some crossover in that an issue of one area of law will give rise to another issue in a completely separate area of law. And in this episode, we'll look at the most common issues arising for small business owners when it comes to intellectual property law and the crossover with consumer law. Before we dive into this, I want to say something about lawyers and their fees. Lawyers don't have the best reputation, but I would argue that the nature of a lawyer's work is misunderstood by many. All areas of law are complex and involve much more than a yes or no answer. Most small business owners wouldn't question the need to see an accountant and may even engage a bookkeeper to assist with record keeping throughout the course of the financial year. Why? Because you want to ensure that you structure your tax affairs to pay the correct amount of tax at the right time, to maximise your tax deductions within the permissible rules and to structure your tax affairs to achieve personal and commercial goals. Put simply, accountants assist us to understand our obligations, comply with the laws, to minimise our risk, and to assist us with forward planning. These are all things lawyers do too, though. 
So why the different attitude towards lawyers? Well, seeing a lawyer is not like going to an accountant because the answer to a legal question is not usually one that can be answered with reference to a formula. For example, you might see a lawyer and ask, can I sue my supplier for breach of contract? The answer won't be yes or no. The answer to this question will depend on a number of factors which require the lawyer to ask a lot of questions of you before they are in a position to start considering the answer to your question. For example, if your agreement with your supplier was made by way of a telephone conversation and emails rather than a formal written contract, the process of giving you an answer will take your lawyer significantly longer. You can assist lawyers in reducing the time it takes to provide advice by being proactive in seeking that advice. In this example, that would be having your lawyer either draft or review the supplier agreement before you sign it, if it is in writing. You can also assist by preempting or foreseeing what information your lawyer might need to best assist you in giving advice. So here, if the agreement was made up by way of telephone conversations and emails, knowing what records and information you will need to take to your lawyer so they can work out exactly what the terms of that agreement were. So now let's look at the crossover between business names, intellectual property issues and consumer laws. One of the first things you'll very well do as a new business owner is register your business name. You might decide to conduct your business as a sole trader or to register a company. What you choose to do will depend on the structure that is best for you based on accounting, advice and hopefully some legal advice too. But for the purpose of this episode, we're not going to talk about the legal differences between different business structures. You can learn more about that in our Business Structures mini course. For our purposes now, all you need to know is that a business will almost always proceed to register a business name. More often than not, sole traders will register a business name, but as I said, for tax and accounting reasons, you might choose to register a company and you might choose to register a company in the name of the business that you wish to trade or in another name and then register a business name with that company as the owner. So what do I mean? My name is Erica Taylor and let's say I wish to trade a business called Erica's Excellent Adventures. So I, as an individual, would apply in my own name for the business name Erica's Excellent Adventures. I may receive tax and accounting advice to the effect that for reasons of asset protection or financial planning reasons, I should conduct my business through a company. In that case, I might call my company XYZ Proprietary Limited and then XYZ Proprietary Limited would register the business name Erica's Excellent Adventures to trade using that name. Both business names and companies in Australia are registered with ASIC, the Australian Securities and Investments Commission. That's the Commonwealth regulatory body that regulates companies, markets, financial services and consumer credit. As a small business owner, your interactions with ASIC will likely be limited to the registration of your business name and or the registration of a company. And registering a business name or a company is often the first instance where small business owners will see an overlap of the law. Many people, and please don't be embarrassed if you are one of them, believe or are of the understanding 
that if they register a business name or a company, that the name of the business or the company can only be used exclusively by them. This is not the case. Registration of a business name or company name give you no rights in the name itself. It only gives you the right to trade using that name. What do I mean by that? Well, you can legally trade using the name you have registered, but just because you have registered the name or the company with ASIC doesn't mean that you can tell someone else they can't trade using that name. It's trademark law that protects the business name or the company name. It's trademark law that protects a business owner's brand, including those names, logos, and the reputation that it builds up in that brand. A trademark allows you to use a name or a logo for goods or services to the exclusion of all others. That means in theory that no one else could use that name, logo, or a combination of both unless they have some kind of commercial agreement with you, such as a licensing agreement. Now, I'm speaking very generally here. Um, In any case uh, to do with uh, trademarks, business names, etc., it all has to be assessed on a ca- what we call a case-by-case basis. So looking at the particular facts and circumstances of the case itself. So the comments I'm making here are quite uh, general to inform you of the law as it exists and what it means for you as a business owner, what you need to think about when you're looking to uh, start trading or branding your business using a particular name or logo. A trademark can be registered under the Trademarks Act of Australia, or it might be unregistered. You don't need to go to the step of registration to get a trademark. A trademark can exist without being formally registered. The owner of an unregistered trademark may still take legal action to enforce it, and the action uh, would be an action of passing off, and we'll talk about that shortly. But registration of a trademark makes the enforcement of the rights in the trademark much easier. Registration allows the trademark owner to take action against another person and in the law, a person can be an individual or a company. Action against that person for infringement and an infringement is a violation of the rights to the trademark which belong to the owner of it. So before you set your heart on a name for your business, you should make sure that it is available through ASIC, but also make sure that it has not been registered as a trademark in Australia or elsewhere. ASIC will notify you if the name you wish to use is available during the registration process. Working out whether that name is a trademark is a little trickier. So when it comes to trademarks, then doing a trademark search is important. It allows you to check whether you can protect your chosen name and get an exclusive right to use that name in your respective goods or services by way of a registered trademark. Trademark searches can also cover common law trademarks, so it goes beyond the scope of just looking at a register of trademarks. But a trademark search also allows you to check whether you, in using your chosen name, might be infringing another person's trademark. It's also important to remember that Australia doesn't operate in a vacuum, and trademarks are an international concern. Multinational companies that have built up substantial goodwill and reputation in their trademarks, such as Coca-Cola, Nike, Chanel, they spend countless amounts of money monitoring trademark applications and registrations around the world. 
and they will come after you no matter what size your business or what your location. They are very active in enforcing and protecting their rights. And this is true in relation to um, the goods and services that are sold under a trademark. For example, big luxury brands um, such as uh, Ray-Ban or Louis Vuitton, they actually have inspectors who go around um, to different uh, shops and markets and that type of thing to see if um, fake goods are being sold. Um, So these companies have vast financial resources behind them and are able to invest the money in protecting their intellectual property. And the reason why they do that is because they've built up valuable reputation and goodwill in their brand. So the last point I want to make about trademark searches is this. Trademark searching is a skill. It's not a simple exercise. And it's not a skill in just knowing how to search or what to search, but it's a skill in knowing how to interpret the results of the search. A good trademarks lawyer will be able to do a comprehensive trademark search for you. And while this comes at a cost, it's a wise investment and certainly a lot less than if you have to defend an allegation of trademark infringement. Trademark infringement may occur if the owner of a trademark can show that an infringing trademark is being used on identical or similar goods or services for which the trademark is registered, or that the infringing business, that is the business who is infringing your trademark, if that business's sign or trademark is sufficiently similar to your trademark and causes confusion about the origin or which business is selling the goods and services. For example, a case in 2019 in Australia involved a tyre and wheel company using trademarks that incorporated the word monster. And you may be familiar with the popular energy drink of the same name. The business which sold the monster energy drinks owned monster energy trademarks used for the energy drinks and for the promotion of extreme sports, including motorsports. And that business had built up a reputation in those trademarks in Australia. The owner of the Monster Energy trademarks was successful in establishing that the use of the word monster by the tyre and wheel company would be likely to deceive or cause confusion. If you are hit with a trademark infringement allegation, you'll also usually be hit with an allegation of misleading and deceptive conduct under the Australian Consumer Law and possibly an action for passing off. Unlike trademark law, which is designed to protect an owner's brand, consumer laws protect the consumer from the conduct of a business. The Australian consumer law prohibits a business from engaging in misleading and deceptive conduct, among other things. But let's look at this in the context of trademarks. If you use a trademark that is substantially similar or identical to another person's trademark... Not only are you likely to be infringing that trademark, but you're also likely to be found to be engaging in misleading and deceptive conduct. And bringing a misleading and deceptive conduct claim at the same time or in parallel with a trademark infringement claim is done, again, to protect the goodwill and the reputation being built up in the brand by the business owner. What is misleading and deceptive conduct? Well, that's not an easy question to answer. And um, I don't think any legal question is ever easy to answer. 
But the definition of misleading and deceptive conduct is not black and white. To determine whether conduct is misleading or deceptive, it's the overall impression a business gives to a consumer when engaging in the conduct that is to be assessed. Generally speaking, where a business entices or leads a person into buying something by creating an overall impression that is false or inaccurate, that will be misleading and deceptive conduct. So a simple example of this might be a business that manufactures soft drinks, uh, in particular cola-flavoured soft drinks, and it introduces um, or sells a canned soft drink that it calls Cola Plus. And the soft drink can is red in colour, has white stripes, and the words Cola Plus are written in uh, running or cursive writing. Now that business selling Cola Plus, by using that colour of red with the white stripes and that particular style of writing, might entice a person to buy Cola Plus or lead a person into believing that Cola Plus is manufactured by Coca-Cola. So that impression that's being created by the use of the colours, the use of the style of writing, is creating a false or inaccurate impression that the manufacturer of that cola drink is Coca-Cola. So in that example, the case of the overlap between consumer law and trademarks is the false impression that's created by using the branding in the form of a trademark that is identical or substantially similar to the trademark owned by Coca-Cola. And it does not matter if you do not mean to create a false impression. The fact that one is found to have been created is enough. It doesn't matter that you didn't mean to do it. The overall false impression will be determined with reference to the consumers to whom the product or service is being targeted to. And the last cause of action usually included with an allegation of trademark infringement is that of what's called passing off. While the right to bring an infringement action for a registered trademark or an action of misleading and deceptive conduct stem from the law as it is set out in a piece of legislation, passing off is an action at common law or judge-made law. So it's not set out in any particular piece of legislation. But going back to passing off, a person with a registered trademark will usually also include an action for passing off to cover all their bases. Passing off is a very similar claim to that of infringement of a registered trademark, but it can be used to enforce rights in a trademark that's not registered. Passing off is not limited to trademarks, which we tend to define as just names and logos, but also extends to slogans or livery, which has become associated with the goodwill and reputation of a trader. A good example of passing off is a 2020 case involving an Australian burger restaurant trading as Down and Out Burger, which was sued by the American restaurant chain In and Out Burger. So the American company sued the Australian company in the courts in Australia. The court in this case found that Down and Out knowingly used logos, branding and signage similar to that of In and Out, and that amounted to Down and Out representing, or in other words, passing off the goods of In and Out as their own. And because passing off extends beyond trademarks to slogans or livery, 
That is why the owner of a registered trademark might also include an action for passing off in their threats of litigation uh, to a business that has been seen to be infringing uh, its trademarks. So what does that mean for you, dear listener? Well, you may be wondering why I started out talking about business names and registering business names and then delved into the law of trademarks and consumer law. That's because the first step usually taken by a business when starting up is to register their business name. But when you register your business name, you have to think about much more than just the name itself. You have to think about the implications of using that name from a trademarks perspective and from a consumer law perspective. Any use of branding in the form of a business name, a logo, a slogan or livery that is identical or substantially similar to the branding of another business opens you up to potential legal action. Now, there are a lot of businesses who might engage branding agencies or graphic designers to assist with selecting a name or designing a logo, but those businesses balk at engaging a lawyer to provide proactive legal advice so that they can ensure the name and logo they choose is sound and not likely to infringe the rights of others. And don't think that if you do engage a branding agency or a graphic designer to do that type of work, that you'll be protected in some way. You won't be able to pass through any liability to the branding agency or the graphic designer unless you have some kind of specific agreement to do so. And being unaware of the existence of an identical or similar name or logo, brand, slogan or livery, that's no defence to legal action. Nor, as I said before, is saying, well, I didn't mean to do it or I didn't know I was doing it. That's no defence at all. And that's why it's so important to be aware of these issues as you start up a business, but as you go along in business as well. More often than not, startups get off the ground in stages unless they've got significant financial resources behind them. So your path to running your business may be from a starting point of registering the business name and then when you have some more funds behind you, developing products and then selling those products. But there's a big gap in that process and skipping the steps of doing your due diligence can be really, really costly. If you do get to the point where you have developed a product, you are selling it in shops and markets and then all of a sudden you find yourself hit with a trademark infringement claim. So the best and least costly proactive course of action is to get legal advice from an experienced trademarks lawyer who can undertake a trademark availability search for you and can also give you some advice as to registering trademarks. There are a lot of really excellent legal services providers out there who don't just charge their customers or their clients on an hourly basis, who have fixed fee arrangements and I'd encourage you to do your research when looking for a lawyer, especially if you're a business that's starting up. Not investing in this type of legal advice can end up being a costly mistake down the track and can ruin a business that may have otherwise prospered and been successful had these small steps been taken when first establishing the business. 
It's often easier for business owners to bury their head in the sand and think, that won't happen to me, I'm just a small side hustle operating down under. Who's going to know? Believe me, it can happen and I have seen it happen many times. I have seen businesses, small business owners who have invested significant amounts of their own funds, their time, their blood, their sweat, their tears, their passion in starting a business only to have to basically wind it all down because they've received a letter of demand from a multinational corporation with significant financial resources saying, you've infringed our trademarks. And those small businesses aren't even able to get to a point where they can get the advice to say whether or not the trademark has been infringed because getting advice at that point when you do have a problem is so much more costly. With the internet and social media, it's very easy for people to get inspiration for their own branding from other brands. But it also makes it easier for businesses to check whether other businesses are seeking to trade off their goodwill and reputation. So this is a cautionary tale and many of these episodes will be cautionary tales. But empower yourself by knowing what you need to think about when starting and operating your businesses, especially if you're developing multiple brands or changing your branding and being aware of these issues and developing your legal literacy in this area can only assist you down the track when you do want to seek that proactive advice or if you do find yourself on the receiving end of a letter of demand. So thank you so much for listening. I hope this has been uh, useful and informative and that it's given you a sound understanding of what things you need to consider when going through that very exciting process of choosing your business name and a brand. And I hope to catch you again in the next episode of the Legally Literate podcast. Legally Literate is a production of the Legal Literacy Foundation. The Legal Literacy Foundation is dedicated to improving the legal awareness of Australian small business owners. We empower small business owners to critically assess the law and participate in the legal system with confidence through our blogs, podcasts and online courses. Please leave us a review and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about how we assist small business owners to develop and improve their legal literacy, visit www.llf.net.au. Thanks for listening.